Yaron everyone and welcome to this new episode of our Pacific Talks where I engage in active conversations with my guests to talk about the challenges our world is facing and seeing them through a Pacific lens. For this episode, I'm very happy to have the opportunity to have another conversation with Keoni Lee. I had the privilege to meet him in Hawaii several times, so I'm very happy to be able to share our thoughts together for you through this podcast. Keoni Lee speaks to us from the island of Oahu. He's a very successful entrepreneur, so I'll just share a few of his achievements. He's the co-founder of OEV TV, the only TV channel in Hawaiian language. He also founded the great innovative co-working space of Viva Collective in Honolulu, and is now the CEO of Hawaii Investment Ready, an organization that supports the people and organization addressing Hawaii's social and environmental issues by accelerating social enterprise impact and access to investment. So without further ado, let me welcome Keoni to the Pacific Talks. Keoni, aloha, yorana. Yorana, aloha. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Um, so as I've said, you have uh, quite successful achievements within your life journey. I mentioned a few in the introduction, but for our audience who may not uh, listen, who may listen to you for the first time, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your life path? Yeah, aloha. Thank you for the opportunity to to join you here today um, and to be able to connect across Moana Nui Akea uh, with my cousins over there in, in, in Tahiti and across the Pacific. Um, I'm here on the island of Oahu uh, in the Ahupua'a of Palolo. Um, it's just outside of Waikiki. I grew up on this island a little more north, um, native Hawaiian, born and raised. Um, you know, I went away for school, for, for, for university for four years and came home. Um, and, you know, my whole path up until that point was just very Western, you know, even though I was, even though I am Kanapa Maoli um, and native Hawaiian and I had the fortunate privilege of attending the Kamehameha schools, which is a um, preparatory school for native Hawaiians. Um, and I was able to get a college university degree um, with, with their help. Um, but, um, you know, like I said, very Western education mm -hmm. and very Western minded. I wasn't really into cultural practices and language and, and some of the things that I'm into now. It's I've kind of grown into and reconnected with that um, through my journey. Um, you know, I was I went to business school and my whole uh, plan was just to be successful at business and, you know, and go into finance and make a lot of money and maybe mm -hmm philanthropy and help my community that way. And that was, that was my um, very limited and shallow view of giving back for my education um, that I was, that I was um, lucky to receive. Um, but thankfully when I came back home and uh, decided to get a graduate degree, I uh, went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa, um, Scheidler College of Business for, for, for master's in business. Um, and, you know, there was maybe four Native Hawaiians in the program at the time. And so we all kind of gravitated to each other. And I was very fortunate to meet Na'alehu Anthony, who um, would become a few years later my business partner. We would become business partners together in mm -hmm. founding OEV TV, which was the first Hawaiian language and cultural television station. Uh, we founded that in 2008. And um, it was a, it was a, opportunity for me as a native Hawaiian to use my business skills and uh, in ways to contribute back to my community that I had not thought about before. 
you know, hadn't thought about Native Hawaiian economic development from that perspective before. Um, mm -hmm. that I could contribute back to my community and serve my community and, and my home uh, through the business skills that I had. And I, you know, it, 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 was, it was a blessing for me that Na'alehu, he was a filmmaker. Yeah, so mm -hmm. just for some context, he was already a filmmaker. Um, and so he, he had experience in this industry and, you know, I just came along as the business and kind of, I knew a lot about tech and um, it was a great partnership. And so for me, what that was an opportunity for was storytelling in Native communities around Hawaii and around the world uh, was really educational for me in the sense that because when you're a storyteller and you're a filmmaker, you get to go to places, you get to meet a lot of people, uh, you get to learn their stories, you get to interview them and spend time with people. And so for me, it was it was a it was an educational experience and a reconnection to my cultural identity mm -hmm. over those 11 or 12 years. And um, yeah, and so I got to really get a deeper understanding of who I am as a Native Hawaiian uh, in a contemporary context. I learned about all the issues and people and I got to talk to amazing leaders and um, throughout all kinds of different communities um, and even around the world, you know, Tahiti, Aotearoa, Australia, um, Samiland, you know, I get to travel all through uh, like First Nations country. And so in storytelling in, in that way, I think it really informed my perspective of what the contemporary Native Hawaiian and also Indigenous um, experience was like. And so now that I, with with that knowledge and with that experience and with those relationships that I feel very much accountable to, you know, I, I met people, we story told, they taught me a lot and I feel very responsible and accountable to the things that I've learned and the experiences that I've had to be able to apply it to my work now. Mm. Okay. It's quite interesting. So it's basically stories that reconnected you to your community in, in a way that is somehow very traditional because uh, the Pacific communities are like very uh, sort of centered around stories and, and, and sharing like personal stories, community stories and that. Yeah, I mean, our, our culture and our societies are are formed around our stories. Mm. And there's so much power and wisdom in those stories but it's also the relationships, right? Relationships are very important. Mm. Um, you know, when we, we as Native Hawaiians would go to other Native communities, not just in the Pacific, but around the world, we have, we have a lot of shared experience, you know, mm. colonization, Westernization, loss, um, degradation of our cultures and languages. Um, and, and, but then that's the negative frame of it. The positive frame is we're seeing it coming back. Mm. We're seeing the, the, the revitalization of our language and culture and also the, the recognition that there's a lot of wisdom and, and practice that can be repurposed in a contemporary context to, to address contemporary problems and issues. Mm. And so I'm very much in the belief now that uh, we have roles to play to bridge um, Western society, Indigenous society, and, and, and find ways to heal that traumatic relationship in ways that um, can be regenerative for, for all of us. Mm, interesting. 
Um, so on, uh, you describe yourself, at least on your LinkedIn profile, uh, as passionate about improving the well-being of Hawaii through the creation and scaling of mission-driven enterprises. And I think that's quite interesting, forgetting what you just told us about your story, uh, because it feels that you grew from like a very standardized view of businesses uh, to a more mission-driven businesses. So how do you think that those mission-driven enterprises and businesses can be the best medium to improve the well-being of your community? And how do you think those standard views that you had in the past fell short into achieving this? Yeah. So when we started OEV TV, I didn't know what a social enterprise was or a mission-driven enterprise was. We we started the company. It was a for-profit entity mm-hmm. and learned really quickly that our market was too small to be um, revenue driven. And so we needed grants to offset some of the costs for running the TV station. We were completely independent and privately owned, um, which is unique in the media and broadcasting space. Um, most are government funded, but we don't have that, those kinds of mechanisms here in Hawaii or in the United States um, for, native, for native TV. And so you know, we had to figure out and be very entrepreneurial and innovative in, in our revenue in our revenue model, and that included grants. And so, you know, I learned a lot about grant writing and you know partnerships and sponsorships and other ways to offset the earned revenue for our company. Um, and in 2013, we were invited to participate in the first social enterprise accelerator program in Hawaii. It's called Hawaii Investment Ready, and that's the company I run now today. Uh, and so that's how I was connected to it. Um, I participated in the first cohort of this accelerator. And it was the first time I learned about social enterprise. Um, and it was the first time I learned about impact investing. And it it just really excited me because mm-hmm. for the first time, what we were doing kind of uh, organically or just n- naturally with our work, you know, we started a company not to make money, we started the company to revitalize our language and culture, to empower mm-hmm. our community through through um, having control of our own stories and narratives. And um, that was the whole purpose of the company, but we needed to make it economically viable so that it could sustain itself. And when I learned, oh, that's a social enterprise, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was like, oh, there's terms for that. Oh, there's, there's people who support these things. I can get trained up on this. And um, for me, why I think it's a, a better way of doing business is because uh, when profit and financial returns are your only measure of success or are your primary measures of success, which is the case for most traditional businesses, um, a lot of bad things come out of that. You know, our, the extractive capitalist system that dominates this planet right now uh, externalizes costs for labor for environmental destruction or or degradation or extraction. Um, It doesn't factor into their equations and their their formulas for uh, what success looks like. And when you don't uh, factor in those costs, it gets, it it, it ends up in the balance sheet somewhere, right? But that balance sheet is our biosphere. And so, and and our societies, and we're seeing rapid, wealth inequality gaps, particularly here in the US and in Hawaii, um, you know, the fact that some people have two, over $200 billion in wealth 
and and so many so many people around the world are living in poverty it it just it it doesn't make sense to me and so mm-hmm. when we look at mission driven organizations and enterprises um i feel and and i'm committed to to scaling them because they make more sense to me as somebody who is western trained in in business but more importantly as a native hawaiian because um, when you have relationships and are serving others through your work, uh, it's a more resilient business model. And, and we have proof of that now. When COVID hit last year in Hawaii and everything shut down in March of 2020, um, in April of 2020, about a month, maybe six weeks in, uh, I, I pulled, I surveyed the 51 social enterprises that had gone through Hawaii Investment Ready to see how they were doing. And the results were really powerful. Um, you know, here in Hawaii, our economy is very much reliant on tourism. It's one of the primary economic mm-hmm. drivers. So when that shut down, our economy tanked, right? It, we, we had one of the worst economic downfalls out of anywhere in the US because of our reliance on tourism and hospitality. So we saw 25% unemployment, something like that is really, really high. Um, but when I pulled our enterprises, 1.4% job loss up until that point. Mm. Um, and what that told me was, one, we're not heavily reliant on tourism. But two, because there was relationships, you know, I would ask the numbers in the survey, but I asked for context of why that was. And what we were seeing was they felt responsible for their employees. So even though it was their number one cost expense, they tried to figure out ways to make it work to keep their employees employed. And because they had strong relationships, because they serve community, these enterprises serve community, when times got tough, the community supported them. Mm. And so this was before any of the, um, the, the federal stimulus came available for, for small businesses, right? And so nobody knew that there was going to be money to help offset uh, some of the costs for labor to keep jobs. So this was before that. And, and so that was great data for us, right? We also saw that about 30%, 35% were seeing an increase of demand and serve, um, from, from customers. We saw another 25% that were pivoting their, uh, their business, business models to better serve their community um, in COVID with the different restrictions. Um, and, you know, only... 10%, which was like two, two enterprises, were, were worried about shutting down. Mm-hmm. And that was not COVID-related. So what that told me, what the survey told me was that these, these social enterprises are resilient business models. And you know, when we're looking at rebuilding our economy or tra- transforming our economy in Hawaii in a post-COVID, post-COVID um, context, it just makes sense to me. Why would we not invest in these types of enterprises that are more resilient, that are, are that can handle shocks, that have relationships in community, that are serving community in ways that traditional businesses aren't? You know, most of the businesses that we've seen a growth of businesses in Hawaii that are foreign owned, um, mm. and foreign I mean not Hawaii owned, and so the profits leave. Right? There's a lot of economic leakage because the ownership that isn't here. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I hope we can talk about that a little later on around, you know, island economies and what we need to really be thinking about in a post-COVID context. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that uh, in a moment. But I, I just wanted to go back to what you were saying earlier, because I think it would highlight what you just explained uh, on taking the best of both worlds. And, and so I, from my perspective as an outsider, when I go to Hawaii, I see quite a dynamic entrepreneurial scene. You have incubators, you have startups, you have numerous businesses and, and quite an active uh, entrepreneur uh, life. So do you think this is the, the mix between the American culture and the community, the Hawaiian culture that has mixed together to create this vivid entrepreneurial scene? And with these more resilient businesses, or like, what do you think is the is the origins of this uh, of this uh, business life, which is quite unique in Hawaii? It's very much because of the American uh, economy, right? Mm -hmm. So the startup scene that you were able to come and experience a few years ago, um, you know, it's just over a decade in the making, um, but that was really stimulated by venture capital funds. Mm -hmm. And so venture capital is still very much an extractive industry, right? It's exclusive, right? The rich get richer, like the kind of real value and productivity dollar for dollar. It, it, it's not, it's not, it's fake, right? Mm -hmm. Because venture is looking for the, the shining star or the needle in the haystack and looking for their 20x return on that one, and that kind of covers their losses on everything else. Um, and so, you know, while you see a robust startup and entrepreneurial system here, I see a flawed one. I see a very flawed one, and it is not native Hawaiian, right? It's 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 very much supporting that extractive um, capitalist system, and it's starting to change. So from the last time you were here a few years ago, I think um, it's, it's starting to evolve because I think there's a realization that the millions in dollars that have been injected into the startups and uh, accelerator scene here haven't created local jobs. The companies get started here and accelerated here, but then they leave. Mm. And so all those jobs and all of that intellectual property leaves because that's where the venture capital home is. They go to Silicon Valley. And so they were focused on tech. And my accelerator, uh, Hawaii Investment Ready, we focus all on Hawaii-based companies. And I mean, deeply rooted Hawaii companies in Hawaiian community. We're the only one that serves nonprofits in, in our accelerator. You know, We very much value uh, native Hawaiian innovation. And that doesn't it's not the same as venture. It's very, very different, right? We're place-based. We're about serving community and having relationships. And, you know, scale sometimes means going deeper, not wider. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we have to think about, right? What You don't just replicate what's been done in other places because it works for them. Everything needs to be place-based, especially for those of us that live on islands. What works on the continent in the U.S., doesn't necessarily work here and most oftentimes doesn't because it's different here. Mm -hmm. Like we have limited space, we have limited resources, we have very different supply chain connections to, to, to get the things that we have and we need. And I think what COVID really helped in a sense is it 
painfully expose the flaws of the current system mm. that our dependence on outside is a is a threat it's a vulnerability and what we really need to focus on is diversifying our economy and supporting and uplifting the parts of our economy that are going to allow us to be more resilient in the face of inevitable future shocks and crises mm-hmm. right climate change right the, sure there's going to be another pandemic at some point right supply chain disruption we are vulnerable to all of that when we live on islands and we have high dependencies so you know the fact that we're attached to the american economy creates a lot of challenges for us in diversifying um and transforming our economy mm-hmm. Yarana, I'm Philippe, the host of the Pacific Talks and also the founder of Pacific Venture. If you like this podcast, you may be interested to discover our weekly newsletter, The Global Tiller. In a 5 minutes reading, we give you a new and fresh perspective on global trends and issues. From the Pacific to South Asia, discover our analysis of global challenges done from a point of view that is not one of the major centers of influence. A good way to change your approach to major topics. If you're looking for a different way to understand the news, subscribe for free at the Global Tiller. Find out more on theglobaltiller.substack.com or on pacificventry.com/newsletters. Hope to see you there. That is actually fascinating what you're saying because uh, a lot of people in other islands in the Pacific we look up to Hawaii and we're like wow look at that they're so successful they have like a great economy that managed to build like all those things um, while a lot of islands like us in Tahiti we are also uh, dependent to an outside uh, economy an outside territory outside from the Pacific and one of the discussion I have very often with local entrepreneurs here. is how can we make sure that businesses are created locally and and the question is is there a gap between what a business should be in this very traditional view of the economy and how or what it should be in the future for our communities to really create uh wealth and 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 good for uh, the community so does it mean we need to invent our own systems of businesses that are community design in order for us to uh, succeed in the entrepreneurial world and and also kind of like shift away from the basic values of business to find new ones that fits more the needs of our islands yeah i mean we have to look at how do we keep our our money circulating in our economy without it leaving. Mm. Right? I think one of the advantages you folks have in um in Tahiti is uh west uh foreign ownership of land is not really allowed, right? It's um, uh, yeah, it's uh maybe less uh bad than in Hawaii I would say. That's bad than us. That's bad than <laughs> yeah. us. because foreign ownership of 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 land has really 
the other economic driver here is land speculation. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is it makes it really unaffordable for local people to live. And then you couple that with a tourism industry and hospitality industry that pays relatively low service jobs wages. And you have the recipe for uh, a lot of struggling local families. And so from an entrepreneurial perspective and an economic development perspective, what I'm really advocating for now is local ownership. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, let's invest in local entrepreneurship and local uh, local ownership of our businesses, right? Let's get the, the restaurants, the food producers, the artisans, the musicians, and really make Hawaii a vibrant place to live with a local economy um, so we can retain uh, when, because tourism is not going to go away, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to go away forever, anytime soon. So how do we start to shift where the money is flowing in tourism and try to keep it here as much as possible. There's there's plenty of economic research that shows local ownership and local economy has a multiplier effect when money stays in the economy. And so we have to we have to avoid what they call economic leakage mm-hmm. when money is leaving Hawaii, right? So we export $6 billion for energy, which is crazy because we have so much sun and wind and re- and renewable energy. So there's very much a focus right now for us to figure out renewable energy. On the other side is we need to be able to eat. At any given time, we have about a week's worth of food on island, mm-hmm. which is crazy because we have so much sun and we can grow all the food that we have more than enough opportunity to grow a, a significantly mm-hmm. more of the food that we consume. But you know, it's cheaper to buy from Costco and these uh, U.S. Um, big box stores because they they make the price cheap because they buy all of this cheap um, goods from from around the world. And mm-hmm. so, part of the solution to get to more local ownership and reduce economic leakage is retraining ourselves to what's important, really important, mm-hmm. and really rethinking about how we're spending our money to really invest in keeping that money here in Hawaii. And that's starting to happen. I think COVID really helped us in waking people up to, we need to do something differently because what we're doing right now isn't working. Mm. And it's just going to get worse if we don't start to address it. And so I've been fortunate in that context because of the experience that I have as a, as a mission-driven entrepreneur and now as a in, like impact investor supporting uh, mission-driven entrepreneurs uh, we have an opportunity to share our story and share our experience with the mainstream and starting to help influence economic development policy and, and innovation more from that mission-driven perspective, serving and local economy building. But also with me being who I am, I bring culture into the mix. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's a it's a really fascinating time for here in Hawaii because there's a all these forces that are at play that are kind of creating chaos and in chaos, there's opportunity. Of course, of course, chaos always uh, comes before order and, and a new system. And, and, and talking about that, I was uh, reading recently an article in uh, Honolulu Civil Beat uh, that was titled, Dark Clouds Are Looming Over Hawaii Even As The Economy Appears To Be Improving. And they were quoting uh, Carl Bonham, who was saying, what are we bouncing back to? 
which is a question everyone has asked at the beginning of the pandemic. But since then, we kind of like, okay, let's go back to normal. Uh, and in Hawaii, as in Tahiti, as you said, tourism is a, is a major uh, uh, weight in the economy. So what do you think should be the evolution of the tourism industry in our islands in order to allow the economy to have time to rebuild on, on, on new grounds such as uh, agriculture and like local productions? And, and what could be the future of tourism in that context for our islands and how can we maybe take more ownership of this industry uh, as it's not the case now? So I'm uh, in May of last year, in response to COVID, 14 Native Hawaiians, um, which I'm one of the co-founders and uh, leaders for, we started an initiative called Aina Aloha Economic Futures. And so Aina Aloha means like beloved land, beloved home. And we, what we did was we, we put forth a declaration of four Hawaiian values, um, very universal. Um, and one of them was around ho'okipa, which means to host. And our, our declaration of that value stated that in order for us to be good hosts, we have to have our house in order. Mm. We have to take care of our resources. Our communities need to be healthy. Um, it's kind of like inviting people over to your house or your home. You don't have a mess at home and host people, right? Your house needs to be clean, needs to be welcoming. And so that's one of the values that we put forth. And in this process of Aina Aloha, we did a lot of community engagement, um, seeking ideas and proposals from community about how we could transform our economy, what values are important to us. And so what this movement, I think, does to answer your question is it sets somewhat of a North Star for us that this is where we want to get to. Because Carl's quote is basically saying, we don't want to go back to the status quo, mm -hmm. right? The status quo wasn't working. And I think generally the consensus here from the powers that be to down to community, we're all in agreement. We cannot go mm -hmm. back to the way it was. But the reality is the status quo has an unrelenting momentum. It's deeply entrenched. It's historical. It's root, it, it, the systems are all in place. So it doesn't take a lot of energy to keep the momentum going. Right. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take a lot to keep it going. But if you want to change the status quo, you need an equally powerful opposing force. Right. Because just think about like a. Like a windmill, once you mm -hmm. get the windmill started, it doesn't take a lot to keep it going. Right. But to stop it takes a lot of force. And so I know Aloha for us is this opposing force. We, we made very universal, welcoming, inclusive values. That if you call Hawaii home and you want to be a part of a more just and equitable and sustainable future for Hawaii, then we're together. Mm. And so it allows communities, different communities, different economic classes, different affinity groups to align together around a common vision. And that common vision is being adopted and being supported by different institutions, government agencies. And by thousands and thousands of people who've signed on to our declaration and like hundreds of volunteers who gave to our community um, engagement sessions to help us come up with these proposals and policy recommendations. And so what we're building is this social movement of sorts to rally around and connect as many people as we can, all of our efforts and agencies together 
to work towards this common vision. And to use like a voyaging metaphor in the Pacific. So just imagine the navigator, right? The navigator sees the island and you, you, you navigate your va'a based upon the conditions that you face along the way, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know where you need to go, but today the wind is blowing in this direction, so I got to go this way, mm-hmm. right? So the way I look at it is all the organizations and people who signed on to Aina Aloha are their own va'a, are their own va'a right? Some are big organizations that they, they go slow and they turn slowly. And then some are smaller organizations like mine that can, that can go mm-hmm. really fast. Um, and some days we're going to be going in different directions because that's just the way the conditions that we face have, whether it's our internal policies or the external environment, we may be going in different directions today or for the next few days or a few months. But I know because I signed on to this and to Ainaloa and you signed on to Ainaloa, eventually we're going to turn back to each other and we're going to be headed in the same direction. And that's our hope with Ainaloa is we set the vision we hold each other accountable to lead with whatever agency we have, whether it's us as an individual or us at the uh, head of an organization, whatever agency you have to start to work towards that shared destination. And so that's my theory of change right now. That's what we're working towards as a social movement to support and bring together all these different um, efforts to create enough momentum to combat and to, to work against the status quo for change. It's it's great initiative. And I think it's quite inspiring for every other island to get everyone on board, but to be intentional about, okay, what do we want to do? It's not just about saying, oh, we need to do differently, but if no one take the time to think about it, then obviously nothing will happen and we'll get back to normal because the inertia is still there. But what also I find interesting is that basically this, Aina Aloha initiatives brings back the system to the roots of the word economy, which is managing your house and putting it in order and clean. So I, I, I like how the local culture brings back the economy to its first uh, use. Uh, and, and, and building on that, I, I read an article that you yourself wrote on the Honolulu Civil Beat also, where you present eight principles for the post-COVID reconstruction and you invite for a shared vision on what Hawaii should become after the pandemic. So could you share with us those eight principles and, and how do you think they are key uh, in successing to this goal that you just uh, shared with us? Yeah, so those eight principles were not mine. It was something that I had read from um, Michael Schumann, who's a economics kind of whiz, wizard. <laughs> and I just applied it in, in a local context for us. And so there's a lot of the things that we had talked about earlier in this call around local ownership, local wealth creation, circulating um, circulating uh, money in our economy, uh, changing who we think of as an entrepreneur, right? It doesn't have to just be this tech kind of, so, there was so much reliance on tech that it was going to save our economy, but they've been trying to get tech to be part of our economy for 15 years and they haven't worked, it hasn't worked because that works in Silicon Valley. It doesn't mm. work in Hawaii, right? So what is it about here? What are our assets, our unique assets and our unique competitive advantage uh, in a global marketplace? And to me, the thing that we have in the Pacific is our ancestral wisdom and practices. That's that and our natural environment. And we live on islands. 
So the pressures of change and disruption affect us differently on islands. We feel them more acutely and we feel them earlier because when you live on a continent, the pressures just don't get to you as fast. But because we live with finite amount of land and space, because we all live within close proximity to each other, you can't hide. You can't hide from each other when you live on island. And, you know, when you look at our ancestral legacy of abundance that we've inherited, you know, you don't, you don't start a voyaging practice if you're starving, mm. right? In order to master voyaging, open ocean navigation, tr- you know, traversing the Pacific back and forth a thousand years ago, you don't, you don't develop that skill and mastery and t- technology and science when you're starving. You, we had abundance because there was so much that we had the ability to go and learn and do these things. Mm-hmm. And so when we, I think when, when, when we have been reawakened to that ancestral legacy and realize how much wisdom is embedded in our culture and our language and our practices, and we find ways to repurpose them in a contemporary context, that is the kind of IP that the rest of the world needs from us. So I think the challenge is going to be, how do we, how do we build a relationship and exchange that's reciprocal and not extractive, right? Mm-hmm. How can we be laboratories of innovation and experimentation for new ways of economic systems and transactions on islands? Because if we can figure it out on our islands, that IP can be brought into a global context. I firmly believe that, right? And you know, I, there is... I'm getting a sense in the kind of national investor and funder networks that I'm in that there is a growing desire and re- recognition that indigenous communities have solutions and ideas that are very, very innovative in addressing contemporary problems. Mm. I completely agree. And uh, it kind of makes me think about this uh, idea I was starting to think about recently on how to revise globalization because it's not about stopping it completely, but maybe having a locally based economy according to the needs of the land and of the population and in respect with its culture and having a globalization that shares ideas, benefits, inspiration and, and, and techniques more than just having like one going there and taking and bringing it back home, which is not globalization. It's more of a centralization towards some center of, of influences. And and so it's all about navigating the ideas more than navigating the people or, or the goods, which would probably be more beneficial in a more equal equal way uh, over the world. Well, I think I think also when you know looking at tourism, right? You you asked that question earlier. This is an opportunity for us to shift tourism. How do we make tourism and tourists that come here want to come here for? the the learning and the experience mm. with our culture and our natural resources and and that ancestral wisdom instead of coming here for a cheap american vacation right you know we were at 10 million visitors a year in 2019 mm. that's crazy and you know and i think when we saw we saw when there were no tourists here it was amazing it was the mm. first time i surfed waikiki in 20 years because 
there was no tourists. It was great. It was all locals. But and so it gave us a moment to reset. And if if we don't want to go back to the mass tourism model, then we have to develop different ways of creating relationships and experiences for visitors and, and, and residents here in ways that is reciprocal and regenerative, where yeah. the tourism tourists come, you know, to inject some money into our economy, but they come with the right mindset and attitude that they are visiting our home, right? And that they're they need to behave accordingly, not with this mindset of I paid, I'm a customer, I'm always right, you are here to serve me. Yeah. Right. We need to flip that and that they're coming to be in relationship with us, which is how it was in the old days. Right. I remember stories of 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 like my grandparents and, you know, my parents, when they would talk about what Waikiki was like, you know, 80 years ago, 68 years ago. It's just very, very different tourist experience. Tourists would come back every single year and they would meet local families and they would actually go to like local families would have tourists at their homes. And it was very, very different. It was about the mm. relationships. Yeah. And so I'm always going to go back to that. It's always about the relationships. How do we make the quality of our relationships the most important factor when we mm. look at designing systems of exchange? Interesting. All right. Instead of so, transaction, right? We're very transactional in a Western mm. economy. Yeah, I want to get away from transactional and get to relational. And focus more on, on uh, humans and what they can learn from each other or gain from each other instead of one taking uh, at the expense of the other, which is very unbalanced and, and not sustainable uh, on the long run. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so at this stage of the podcast, what I usually like to do is to get a quote out of a book that I recently read. And, and share it with my guests and to have great minds colliding their ideas uh, on a specific idea. And, and you were just talking about uh, uh, the importance of ancestral knowledge and how uh, in the Pacific, especially, but other culture, uh, people try to perpetuate what ancestors have taught them, uh, given them, and try to continue it for the generations to come. And uh, in her recent book uh, called The Optimist uh, Telescope, uh, writer and researcher Bina Venkataraman writes this, uh, and I'm going to read it to you and, and, and we're going to discuss it after. Uh, so with an heirloom, each generation is both a steward and a user. The heirloom doesn't have to sit on the shelf untouched, in other words, but can be used by each generation as long as the use does not, does not deplete its benefits for the next We should treat such resources as a trust, with each generation serving as both trustees and beneficiaries, codifying our roles into laws and treaties. As co-beneficiaries, we share what lies in the trust with all others alive around the world, which creates the obligation to use it equitably within a generation. And for me, this quote, which is from someone who is from Indian descent, also reflect a lot what we do in the Pacific. Uh, we've seen that in Aotearoa with uh, some parts of lands being acknowledged as a person and having rights in order to preserve it on, on the long run. So how do you think uh, we can, in the Pacific, try to help entrepreneurs like you, like others, to get into this vision and build businesses that are more into this approach of preserving and, and making sure that the resources, resources continue on instead of trying to get like a short-term profit and short, short-term uh, revenue as we have been taught for a long time. 
Yeah, there's a lot baked into that. <laughs> um, I think it goes back to our worldview, right? Um, the worldview of the extractive economy is about profit maximization at all costs, at all costs. And we're seeing the effects of that. And I think for us that live on islands, you know, our, our worldview was biocentric, right? Mm -hmm. we, we are part of a living web of systems and that, you know, we need to find balance and be in right relationship with all of those different relationships, all those systems, right? Whether it's our natural resources, our elements, our spiritual, our, our, our human, um, and, and find balance and be in the kinds of relationships that are not extractive, but it takes being very clear and committed to a shared vision of what we're, where we're working towards. Because if my vision is different from your vision, then how do we equitably manage a trust, right? It's two different perspectives. So it, it starts with shared vision. Mm -hmm. You know, when we look at, well, I can speak at least from, from our culture. When we look back at leadership from a Native Hawaiian perspective, um, the power and leadership of our ali'i, our chiefs, was measured in the health and wealth of the people and the land. And that every year when Makahiki came around, and that season for Makahiki came around, uh, the tribute and the, the, the sports and the games and the physical de demonstrations and the, the paying respect and, and homage to our, to, to our gods was to, in, it was an audit of sorts, mm. right? And I, I take that term from a friend of mine, Kamuela Enos. He's a brilliant Hawaiian uh, thinker and doer, but that, that's the word that he used. And I think it makes a lot of sense. It's an, it was an audit, right? To use Western terms, you know, the wealth and health and productivity of the people on the land was the measure. And how do we, how can we take that kind of mindset and worldview and like political economy, right? Because we had a multiple bottom line political economy here in, in, in the Pacific, right? Non-monetary, obviously, mm -hmm. right? But we measured our productivity in different and more meaningful ways for us that made sense for people that lived on islands. So we have to figure out what that looks like in a contemporary context. And there's a lot of exciting things that are possible, like the growth of cryptocurrency. Can you just imagine if we figure out a way to integrate a Pacific worldview into a cryptocurrency that we'd be able to exchange with each other? Mm. Like it just blows my mind about what's possible. So we, it's about our approach and our intentionality. If our intentionality as entrepreneurs in the Pacific is to create productivity from a similar perspective as our ancestors, then we need to take that worldview. We need to use that worldview and that vision and that intentionality and look at what new tools and opportunities are out there that we can repurpose to affirm our ancestral responsibilities. I think that was also a Kamuela Enos quote. I'm just borrowing a lot from Kamuela Enos. <laughs> I hope he hears this and knows that I'm giving him credit for his brilliance. Um, yeah, I, I think his actual phrase was repurposing contemporary structures of power to affirm our ancestral responsibilities. Mm. 
So how can we look at contemporary structures and new tools and technologies and repurposing them to affirm our ancestral responsibilities, which I think speaks to the quote that you're that you just shared. Yeah, definitely. And it brings a practical view on it and, and how to do it on a concrete note and and not just saying, oh, this is what we would like to do, but find like tools and 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 means to say, okay, this is how we're gonna do it which means maybe changing the reference of GDP or changing the reference on profitability. And those famous externalities you were mentioning earlier, saying those are not externalities because a business has a role in the community as well. And so it's completely, it has to be completely taken into account in the balance sheet, basically. Uh, otherwise, it's just pretending not to have an impact where you do have an impact that you will pay on later on in the future. So, and that's- We live on islands. Where are we going to, externalize anything we, we, there's nowhere to go so we we have to make it context and place-based mm. for us and that's a that's the exciting thing and you know that's why relationships like this with you and other um others across the pacific is important for us to have these conversations and share our innovations with each other mm. share our failures too right i tried this didn't really work here's why and so we can we can work together to figure it out because you know we we share we share a lot of history, we share a lot of culture, and we share a lot of the challenges and opportunities mm -hmm. um, in figuring this out. Definitely. Well, that leads to my last question for you, uh, perfectly. Uh, so what would be your advice or recommendation for uh, any person uh, who would like to become an agent of change in his or her community or for the world in general, uh, but who's looking at the world right now as a I don't know where to start. So what, what, what would you say to this person right now? Uh, I think for me, what activated it was this recognition that I am here alive right now in this moment of time as part of a continuum of genealogy. That my ancestors, the things that they did, they struggled, they succeeded, they failed, they learned from built upon each other over time to put me where I am today and that I have that same responsibility to future generations and how am I going to be a really good future ancestor one day mm. and that realization that it's not just about me and my choices and what I do there are consequences and implications for this continuum of genealogy and if you can see yourself in that continuum then you have a responsibility to build off of what came before you and steward what came before you and hand it off and make it better for those to come. Awesome. Well, that's a perfect way to end this and inviting everyone to think about their own role and how to play in, the, in this new world that we've uh, been thrown in after the pandemic. So there's a lot of challenges to come. Kehoni, uh, Mahalo Nuilo uh, for your time. Thank you for sharing your ideas with us and your thoughts. And thank you for all your mission-driven actions in Hawaii. And I hope it will bring the best uh, for these islands and, and the Pacific in general. It's really good seeing you again. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, hope you're well. And yeah, thank you. Thank you.
are we bouncing back to? This question has been at the core of this conversation, and Keoni's vision brings a refreshing perspective on how to navigate in a new direction for our islands and for the world in general. As the ancestral navigators, it's not always easy to sail away to your destination. You may face waves of resistance and winds of criticism. But once you know where you're heading to, it's easier to find ways to overcome those obstacles and the momentum of the old to reach out to new lands, new systems. It will take a whole crew throughout our region to reach those new shores, but we have an incredible opportunity to do it right now. So let's get inspired by Keoni's vision and work together on this. If you listen to the show regularly, you may have noticed there was no episode last month. The pandemic situation in the Pacific has unfortunately impacted us as some of our guests have been busy helping their communities. But we're back now and hoping to keep track as the situation improves everywhere. In those difficult times, that's why your support is important to us. So if you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it on your social medias or with your friends, family or colleagues. And if you listen to it on a podcast platform, feel free to leave us a review. This is very important to us as it helps us to reach out to more people. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas following this conversation with Keoni, you can reach out to us directly by email, contact at pacificventury.com or on all our social media platforms. Until next time, with another guest, another discussion on the challenges of the Pacific, take care and see you soon. <music>